Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, episode 77. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week, like Prime Minister and the only person whose Madame Tussauds waxwork has more warmth and personality than they do, Theresa May, I too don't answer hypothetical questions. Or do I? No, no I don't. Oh wait, I just did, didn't I? Ah shit, this is much harder than I thought. The past week has been yet another one where I've wondered if the Conservatives were brought up with some sort of alternative version of the game Would You Rather. You know the game Would You Rather, right? Well, I think in what they play, the aim is to pick the absolute worst choice possible without any reasoning or understanding of the consequences. For example, I can see Brexit Secretary and What If Wool Was Stupid, David Davis, responding to Would you rather have a slightly stale sandwich or have you and your family and friends repeatedly punched in the face by someone with nails for hands? And then David Davis replied with an immediate confirmation that actually the second would be best for everyone involved. It's the will of the people, you know. You can't deny democracy when it comes to hand nails in the face and then saying that there's no other option and if there was it would be traitorous and unpatriotic or at least unfair to people with nail hands. On Tuesday, on London radio station and home of the worst of Cabbie's viewpoints, LBC, Theresa May was asked if she'd vote for Brexit now, and she responded by saying she doesn't answer hypothetical questions. If we're all to understand that a hypothetical question is one where answers are expected to be an informed guess based on proven or assumed facts available at the time, then it's obvious we have a Prime Minister who still hasn't got a fucking clue what they're doing about Brexit. Of course, I'm just making an informed guess. An informed guess because it seems once again after being asked, would you like a Brexit with deals that aren't super amazing, but hey, you asked for it, or would you rather have a lot less than you had before and spend the foreseeable future reenacting a nationwide survival horror show? Of course, the Conservatives are vying for the latter. Though, to be fair, it does make sense considering all their policies since 2010 do seem to have been building towards some sort of Hunger Games scenario. And, I mean, as the Office of National Statistics have revealed, the UK is £490 billion poorer than previously thought on account of owning so few foreign assets. So why not just do all you can to make the economy even worse? I mean, that's how you fix things, right? You know, what's the saying? Oh, it gets worse before it gets better, yeah? So I guess maybe the idea is for the government to make things so worse that they swing back super brilliantly as a result. 
I just hope it's my future relatives who work out how to survive by only eating other people who'll find that out first. But I'm being over the top, right? I mean, a no deal is cool, yeah? I mean, the UK loves having the no option. Shall we have the alternative vote? No! Shall Scotland go independent? No! Shall we stay in the European Union? No! Should we act like grown-ups and negotiate with the European Union to get the best-case scenario now we're leaving? No! I mean, we're basically a nation of angry two-year-olds. My main concern being that at some point we'll all realise that we'll have said no to potential political ice cream and then have to spend months having a wailing, crying tantrum about it. Rejected character from a Guillermo del Toro film and Transport Secretary Chris Grayling has said that a no deal will be fine because farmers will grow more food as a result. Great! Now we'll have even more rotting legumes that can't be picked by EU workers who aren't there. Hooray! More gone-off potatoes and an increase in the sort of creepy crawlies that feed off them. Which, to be fair, is probably the sort of food that Chris Grayling looks forward to eating and probably explains his comment. Grayling's comment followed Chancellor and only living archaeoteryx Philip Hammond referring to the EU's negotiating team as the enemy at the IMF annual meeting in Washington. Because there's nothing that helps negotiations, definition, a discussion aimed at reaching an agreement, like treating it as though it's a war, definition, a state of conflict between two groups. If anything, the point of negotiations is to avoid war, so there's every possibility that Hammond is going for the violent bit now and maybe just hoping for peacetime talks in the aftermath or perhaps just some half-decent makeup sex. In reality, however, I fear that the UK is going to be the one who shows us a picture of their family and says how much they can't wait to see them again before going off screen to die horribly. Brexit negotiations, or if you're Philip Hammond, table wars, start again on Tuesday. And at the time of recording, Theresa May has discussed Brexit over dinner with Jean-Claude Juncker in Brussels because she always likes to make an absolute meal out of everything. Lots of cross-party MPs are now working together to block the possibility of leaving with no deal at all, though I'm certain that the government will find their way around that by somehow managing to get a deal that is almost nothing but someone gives David Davis a shiny bit of foil to play with, so technically it's a deal. Meanwhile, total disgrace, Liam the disgraced MP Fox has created a new board of trade, but it seems that he is the only member of that board of trade. I mean, I really can't work out if, which is likely, he's done this to create work for himself because he's so useless, or, which is also very likely, he asked other people but absolutely no one wants to work with him because he's such an awful, awful man. Rather than describing Liam Fox as an entire board, though, I'd much prefer the term to be that he's a one-man complete plank. Meanwhile, on the other side of things, Labour leader of what happens if you anthropomorphise a loaf of saurine, Jeremy Corbyn, wants to tackle automation by allowing workers to control and own the robots that will be used in the workplace. I mean, there's a man who's never seen Robot Wars before. Sure, for a while it might well empower and benefit the workers, but it's only a matter of time before a group of eight-year-old kids make a bunch of bearded men cry and even Dara O'Brien struggles to sort it out. Meanwhile, at the National Youth Policy Conference, delegates of Young Labour, or as I like to call it, the Miners' Union, to see what I did there, uh, backed a motion for the UK to withdraw from NATO on the basis that it no longer meets our collective needs. Sure, but I mean, since when has NATO ever delivered smashed avocado? <laughs> I, I joke like an old person. Yeah, take that, kids. The motion won't affect Labour policy, which is committed to continued NATO membership, but it will now go to the party's National Policy Forum for discussion. Defence Secretary and rejected Guess Who character Michael Fallon has called on Jeremy Corbyn to reject Young Labour's motion, but considering six years ago Corbyn called NATO a danger to world peace, this could kick up all sorts of problems. And I guess if it does become a really big problem for Labour, it'll kind of prove that maybe they were all right and NATO does start more conflicts than not. 
In European news, Austria looks set to be home to the youngest leader in Europe, with right-wing Sebastian Kurz, aged 31, looking likely to become Chancellor if his group, the People's Party, start a coalition with the far-right Freedom Party after they emerged as the biggest two in the country's snap election. There are lots of worrying things about this. Um, firstly, yeah, some young people can be Conservatives. How did... Is that... Whoa, I mean, I know, right? What does that mean for the fabric of everything I've ever known? How lonely at school was this guy? And secondly, it's another example of anti-immigration sentiment causing a rise of the far right in Eastern Europe. With the Freedom Party, who are full-on fascists, coming second in the Austrian elections, it's almost as though Germany said with their elections a few weeks ago, hey, a small handful of us are going to vote for neo-Nazis, and Austria looked at them and said, wait, hold my beer hall putsch. Oh, and uh, speaking of fascism, UKIP's new leader, Henry Bolton, said in an interview that he could kill a badger with his bare hands. I really hope he attempts this, as badgers are pretty dangerous, plus the joy of seeing the UKIP leader get mauled by an animal that is both black and white would be absolutely priceless. Hello, listener peoples. How's you? Are you? Oh, sorry to hear about that. I had two unexciting political encounters this week, um, neither of which are really worth telling you about, but I'm going to because content, right? First up uh, in unexciting political encounters was on my stupid early morning flight back from Aberdeen on Sunday, and thank you to all of you who came to my show at the very lovely comedy festival there. On that flight was... Former First Minister of Scotland, Alex Salmond. And I can report... that he did nothing interesting at all. Wow, right? I was hoping he'd at least cause a fuss about something so we could all shout behave yourself at him, but no, didn't even do that. And then, after that, I did a kids gig back in London on the Sunday afternoon, and who was in the audience and occasionally on his phone instead of paying attention? That's right, former Labour leader, bacon sandwich victim, and now also podcaster on the very fun Reasons to be Cheerful podcast, Ed Miliband. Um, It was a really horrible kids show, though, to be fair, due to a group of 47-year-olds being a constant wall of noise, so there is every chance that Ed was just texting SOS messages to someone. Though, to be fair, you'd think he was tough enough for it, but hey. There you go. So, yeah, uh, the former SNP leader and the former Labour leader in one day. And let me tell you, dearest listeners, I was absolutely shitting myself worrying that I'd come home to find David Cameron had popped by for dinner. But, yeah, there is my hugely uninteresting political encounters. Have you had any unexciting political pat moments? Um, if so, please do drop me a line at Palpobro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. And maybe give it the hashtag or subject line, mempees. See what I've done there? Mempees. Uh, M-E-H-M-P-S it it doesn't really work as well when you spell it out anyway, do that with it and I'll respond with pretend excitement and I will read them all out next week, fun um as usual, uh, you're all bloody champs for listening into this show, and it is excellent to see more and more of you get on board the pod wagon every week. But, and with like cigarettes and people, there is always a but, it would be great to bully more people into listening to my weekly noise. So please, please, please do spread the word. And please, 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 if you haven't already, review the show on whatever listening platform you use, even if it is just a plank of wood in the sea with some speakers on it. Um, if that is your listening platform, please just carve something nice about Parpol Bro into it using some sort of knife. Thanks. Um, also, if you can afford to, please. Please give a regular donation to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro or give me a one-off small donation to ko-fi.com uh, that's ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro uh, as it all helps to make this show better and if nothing else it helps you to get rid of your unwanted pesky money. Ugh, money's so damn pesky, right?
There is no admin this week, um, but I did see Fern Brady's show at the Aberdeen Comedy Festival, which made me laugh an awful lot, despite some unwanted interactions from a massive twat in the audience. But Fern Brady is now on tour, and I'd highly recommend checking if she's near you and booking that in. Go and see that. It's very, very good. Um, Also, the youth and student branch of CND, the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament, have asked me to let you know uh, that they are doing a free day of workshops on campaigning, lobbying, and direct action in Waterloo on October the 21st. And they have some really great guest speakers uh, booked in so it looks like an excellent day you can find out more via at youth student cnd on twitter all the links are up there so do that as well um right on this week's show there is not as much me as usual which is partly because i spent the weekend roaming around upper scotland where um they seem very happy fracking is banned and they should as well i mean i think it's good that fracking is banned in scotland uh, i mean do you remember a few years uh a few years back when over microwaved sausage david cameron said that the only reason people are worried about fracking is because they don't know enough about it. Yeah, mate. I mean, the same goes for death, doesn't it? And that doesn't mean it's now a good idea to just inflict death on people willy-nilly because they don't know enough about it. Anyway, what there is uh, this week is a longer-than-normal interview with John Aravosis, who's a political consultant in the US, a podcaster and a civil rights activist, and he's giving us a bit of an update from across the pond. Uh, plus, there is a little bit of Brexit fallout because I know you guys are all like, but Tiernan, what's happening with that Brexit thing? It's like no one ever mentions it anymore will you just chill guys because i got your brexits to the brimful exits um oh yeah and of course uh, don't forget there is some of this The government have published a race disparity audit, which they said had the aim of shining a light on the experiences and prejudices that people from different ethnic groups face in schools, work, hospitals and the justice system. Though it is just a report and it's not actual action, so there is every chance that Theresa May commissioned this report so she could just point her finger at the findings and go, oh, that's bad, and then forget all about it until she mentions in a speech next year how her government destroyed racism. However, what was useful about the report is that it showed that it is a fact that racial wealth inequality exists, with BME people in the UK more likely to live in overcrowded and fuel-poor housing than white people, a much higher rate of homelessness amongst BME people, and that BME households are most likely to lack certain safety features such as fire alarms, an issue that was made upsettingly prevalent with the Grenfell Tower fire earlier this year. The report also found that employment rates were 76% for white British people, but only 64% for BME. And while some UK ethnic minorities perform better in schools than white British children, sadly, as can be seen with employment figures, it doesn't seem to help with their economic progress afterwards. There is a lot more information in that report, including that black men are more likely to be found guilty in court, black Caribbean children are more likely to be expelled from school, and oddly, white 15-year-old kids are more likely to take up smoking than any other group, probably because they need it just to help them cope with all the white guilt that they can actually afford cigarettes due to horrific racial wealth inequality. So while the government hasn't announced any action to follow this report up, it has put out in the open how vast the levels of racial disparity are in the UK. Which, to be fair, is something that anyone who's not white would have been able to tell you for quite some years. It's just that it's taken ages for a government to even get this far, probably because, yeah, racial disparity. I mean, I doubt it helps that the Conservatives only have 19 BME MPs out of 317, proving that they are also part of the problem. Labour are slightly better at 32 MPs, but that's still not proportionally representational to the amount of seats they have. However, Labour at least did launch a diverse communities manifesto with proposals for public sector equality duties, equal pay audit requirements and an inquiry into names-based discrimination. Something that I could pretend I've faced, but I don't really think being listed for a gig as Doobie Tay Ran really counts. But I mean, man, it hurt. Although it also sounds a bit like a jazz singer. Anyway, but all of those things that Labour proposed would at least be a positive start. Instead of that, though, 
though, the government, all they've offered at the moment is Sajid Javid mentioning that they're working on a new integration strategy, which sounds a lot like they already blame inequalities on the people suffering from them, because they haven't become British enough. Yeah, brilliant work, Sajid. I mean, why not just suggest everything would be fixed if everyone's surname was Smith, everyone only ate chips and all their kids just started smoking like the Brits do? Hopefully, there will be more than just Javid's plans, including some historical and class context for the data too, which is sorely missing from the report. May said she wanted the report to reveal uncomfortable truths, and I just hope that one of those isn't that yet again her government think just releasing this data is anywhere near enough to change things. You can view the whole report, uh, if you would like to, at www.ethnicity-facts-figures.service.gov.uk. America, a country that's probably considering changing its full title to The United in Panicking About the Fucking States of Things of America. You might remember a few episodes back, I said I'd be avoiding covering all things Donald Trump, aka the public health warning about why you shouldn't give the Lorax crystal meth. Because let's face it, Trump churns out such a relentless torrent of crap that it can barely be covered in a daily podcast, let alone a weekly one. I mean, for example, in the last week alone, Trump has both threatened to scrap the Iran nuclear deal, which originally forced them to scale back their nuclear arsenal. Meanwhile, he's continued to threaten North Korea because they have missiles. I mean, the annoying orange has less consistency than paint thinner in space. He withdrew the US from UNESCO, an organisation whose tagline is building peace in the minds of men and women, something that Trump obviously wouldn't like. I mean, I'm sure if you swapped building peace for building walls and just removed the women from that statement, he'd have totally stayed in. And then Trump continued to press ahead with the dismantling of the Affordable Health Care Act. He nominated a climate change sceptic, Kathleen Hartnett-White, to the White House Environmental Policy Board. The White House accidentally emailed a reporter into an email chain about how to spin the recovery effort in Puerto Rico. He made comments about alluding to the banning of freedom of press, and then Donald Trump said that he'd met the president of the Virgin Islands, which you kind of hope he had done, as it's him, because the Virgin Islands are a US territory. So unless I met the president of the Virgin Islands is some sort of weird euphemism for jerking off something that none of us want to imagine, then he's most definitely a fucking idiot. And that is just the last seven days. Oh yeah, and while becoming the first president to attend an anti-LGBT hate group gathering in Washington, which is really an achievement that no one should want, Donald Trump told the Value Voters Summit that he doesn't have a schedule, but if he did have a schedule, he'd say he was substantially ahead of schedule. Which I guess he thinks means in golfing rounds, in which case that does make total sense. So with this relentless news, you could almost say that he's an incredibly productive president if it wasn't for the fact that everything he does is so hideously unproductive for humanity. That's what the entire past year has been like in the US since Donald Trump won. And as I watched Hillary Clinton on the one show on BBC last week, looking confused, yet bemused at the one show's seamless link from her election failure to a vox pop about a barber who lost some money, I thought about the alternate reality where Hillary had won the election and while probably still tried to start a war with Iran, but at least everyone in America would have been less tired overall. But I thought it was time on this podcast for an update on that big land lump across the pond where they do the burgers, and so I interviewed John Aravosis. John is a democratic political consultant, a journalist, a civil rights activist taking on at one point BP over doctored photos of an oil spill, and John also writes the very popular America blog and co-hosts the Unprecedented podcast. Phew! I mean, how does everyone in America do quite so much stuff? I've barely managed to make two cups of tea today and it's day's already finished. Anyway... 
we had an excellent chat, but there are lots of things that we didn't cover. So I have to let you know, uh, we didn't cover the horrific Weinstein stuff. Um, we didn't go much into uh, Puerto Rico and the rise of racism is mentioned. But mainly, mainly me and John had a chat about what Trump's presidency means for the future of American politics. Spoiler alert. Not good things. Oh, and I will say that for some reason, during this chat, I had a slight brain meltdown and I forgot words such as warranted, among others. See if you can spot where that goes. Um, But apologies for my poorly worded questions in amongst John's very fascinating answers. Uh, I do hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed talking to him. Here is John Aravosis. Thanks tons for talking with me today. Um, I have got 101 questions for you about the US at the moment. Um, as you sort of mentioned to me just before we started recording, it is a, a daily nightmare for you uh, at the moment and for the rest of the world looking on. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I wanted to... <laughs> I, mean, I suppose actually first question I should ask is, how are you? Are you all right? Is everyone over there all right? We're, we're alive. So, well, not everyone, of course. In Puerto Rico, they're not all right, but... um. You know, it's it's weird. I think it's weird, too, because I work in politics in D.C. and I've been here for like 30 years. And there's a weird thing with politics that I think is like weather people where disasters and things are kind of exciting in a weird way, meaning, you know, regular run of the mill politics isn't that interesting if you live for politics. The, The tornadoes of politics are kind of exciting if you're a weather person. The only problem is then you get a you know tornado like Trump that gets us all killed. But um but but so i mean it's kind of been exciting in a way even though it's been terrifying yeah i, I can i can bet it's sort of it, yeah. there's always something to talk about even if it's not yeah. something you want to be talking <laughs> about um yeah. actually which is just uh, before i i ask you about current things um i was looking up uh because you you do quite a lot you write a very um uh, well-known blog in america america blog a progressive blog and you, and you do your podcast and you're constantly on media and things but i was looking at your history of politics because you said you've been there a long time um you worked for a republican senator and then became a democrat what was the what was the turning point? <laughs> That's quite the switch. The turning point was coming out gay and realizing that there's no way in hell I could support people on the right because they didn't support me. I mean, that that's the very short answer, but it's the it's the answer going back now almost 25 years, probably is when I switched and never looked back. Yeah, because it was just sort of reading it on your Wikipedia profile. I was kind of going, oh, wow, that's that's quite t- yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, they were you already getting crazy. The thing is, they were already going crazy 25 years ago, which is kind of the funny thing looking back is, you know, people like me, uh, Marcos Molitsis, who runs Daily Coast, which, uh, you know, is one of the other is probably the most famous American blog. Marcos used to be a Republican. You know, Ariana Huffington used to be a Republican who who created Huffington Post. And we all left, you know, 10, 20 years ago because the party went crazy and you know, now it's almost quaint what they were 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, there were, there were no embrace of Nazis then. <laughs> so, you know, we laugh. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's so disturbing when you realize that everything you were terrified of then is now actually seems like a fond memory. Um, it's, it's progressive now. Yeah. Yeah, really concerning. Well, okay. Well, uh, to to the US today, um, which uh, where to start? Uh, maybe at, at gun laws. Is that? A, I mean, that yeah, was uh, you know some of the news that we got here in the UK was the really horrific shooting in Las Vegas. But it it doesn't look like from anything I've seen here that any gun laws in the US are going to be changing anytime soon. Is that? I mean, do you think that that never, it's uh, never the does. idea of strict gun? Yeah, it never does. I mean, the the 
the one interesting thing is <clears throat> that everyone sort of, well, Democrats generally agree. Okay, you've got this huge gun lobby in the U.S., and it controls both parties, but definitely controls more people on the right than people on the left. But too many people on the left are also bought into it. So you have that problem to start with, right? Um, Bernie Sanders was a little too pro-gun and has finally come around now. But but you've, but even somebody like Sanders, who is famous internationally for being a great progressive, even he was not great on the gun issue. So that just shows you how... I don't know if you have any issues like that in the UK that sort of cross in where even people on the left are kind of bad, you know? Um, well, I mean, sure, there's lots of issues where you're bad on the left, <laughs> but but you know what I mean? <laughs> Some, something of this sort yeah. of, gra uh, you know, gravitas. Um, but no, but traditionally, you know, lots of kids get slaughtered and everything and nobody does anything. Um, in this case, the one thing they're talking about doing is, and you're going to laugh because like, again, from, from your perspective, you're going to go like, that's a big step forward. The One of the things the idiot was using in Las Vegas is this tool that you fit on the back of rifles that turns it into an automatic rifle, almost like a machine gun. So like when right. you pull the trigger and the gun jumps back or the, the rifle jumps back, it hits a mechanism that pulls the trigger again. So it is. So each time the, the trigger goes off, it throws the gun back and shoots again and again and again. So it turns it into like a machine gun. Well, that was legal for like 200 bucks. You could buy them online, wherever. And they're now talking about maybe making that illegal. But the big debate now is, you know, maybe we don't want Congress to do it. Maybe we just want the administration to do it because that way somebody can change it in the future. And the members of Congress don't have to have a strike on their record about being anti-gun. So even wow. that small step in the right direction is is getting a little bit thrown. And frankly, no one's I mean, not no one, but, you know, Las Vegas is five days ago in this country. I mean, now we're dealing with the threat of nuclear war in North Korea. Excuse me, the, sure. the threat of nuclear war in Washington, D.C., of course, not North Korea. But I mean, it's Trump's fault at this point. But um, but seriously, though, like that's that's how quickly also the tragedies keep changing. We're not even yeah. talking about guns much at this point. <laughs> it it became like, oh yeah, one of those tragedies. What's what's actually the next one happened yesterday when some kid opened fire on a campus cop and blew his head off in Texas, where you can have oh, guns and where you can have guns on campus. They thought it would be really nice to have a law that says college kids could have guns because you know, campus life when you're drunk and everything, it's really important to have a gun. Jesus, we haven't even heard about that one here. Oh yeah, yet. Oh, well, uh, it's, it's a small one for us. It's kind of a, I don't even know what to call it. It's like one on the seismic scale. <laughs> you know, it, was only, it was only one guy getting his head blown off in America. That's like we call that Tuesday. You know, I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous how prevalent it is here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still something that terrifies me. Even when I, I've, I've traveled to the States and just walked through the airport and see, you know, you see police with guns. That's so unusual for the, you know, in the UK. Well, that's, it's that's sadly becoming less unusual, but yeah. But that's post 9-11. We didn't, before 9-11, we used to go to Europe and freak out because you'd see people with machine guns in airports. You know, you'd see it in Italy, especially because of the terrorism in the 80s. You'd see it in France, especially, maybe not in England, I don't know. But um, but we would always go, oh, my God, that's kind of creepy. After 9-11, we were very happy to have guys with machine guns in the airports. <laughs> you know, so that that was its own cultural shift. But I don't think that was the gun culture as much as that was just the 9-11 freakout culture. Right. Right. I didn't realize that. And, it, yeah. and it's something I wanted to ask that you picked up on early because, I, um, as I said, I've got lots of subjects I want to ask you about. But actually, you pointed out that there's there's awful things happening pretty much every day is this yeah. is the danger of that as as it has been for the past year the fact that things are getting ignored like you know if there hadn't been something else or more north korea stuff today do you think there'd be more focus on the las vegas attack last week you know it's it's interesting because 
<clears throat> excuse me, to some degree, some people, you know, Reagan, they used to call the Teflon president because the theory was he could do anything crazy and it would just roll right off of him. In Trump's case, the stories seem to blow up and they hurt him in the polls, but at the same time, it doesn't seem to change anything, right? And then you have three crazy stories a week that blow up so that each story then supplants the other story, right? So we like a week ago, we had Puerto Rico. Then we had the Vegas thing. Now we've got a Republican senator who says Trump may start nuclear war. So each each new outrage is is pushing the other outrage out of the picture. It's, it, it's interesting because I think, yeah, it is, it is, it has helped Trump in a way because we can't grab onto any one thing. It's hurt him in a way because you wouldn't have lead Republican senators speaking out and saying this guy's crazy and is going to get us killed if you didn't have all of these issues constantly hitting. So I think to some degree, maybe in the long term, it's it's helping. I don't know it's helping because it may get us killed in the long term, but it's uh, it it's helping in the sense of it's finally getting some Republicans to go. This is freaking nuts. Yeah, because they must be getting exhausted with it all as well. Well, or yeah, I mean, you know, the same way. Well, it's hard to, and it's also hard to say even with Corker. I mean, you know, Corker though is the one senator who's speaking out now. He announced he wasn't going to run for re-election next year, so he's obviously more freed up to speak, right? He's not afraid of the base of his party, which is the crazy Trump base going after him. Um, but uh, some of what they've been saying in the news the last few days is even reporters that talk to Republicans and a lot of Republicans they say agree with this senator that Trump is crazy and he's unfit for the job. They don't know what to do. They basically say, well, what can we do about it? And it is a problem because, you know, there's two legal things you can do in this country. You can invoke the 25th Amendment of our Constitution, which in, which starts a process where his entire cabinet has to vote to remove him, you know, majority, things like that. Or you can impeach him, which is the process they did to Bill Clinton. And A, you impeach. And then B, you have a vote to remove him from office. Well, you know, no one thinks that's going to happen because – You've got the the Republican base is so crazy that they're going to flip out. You know that I mean I would I would worry that we may have a civil war if that happens, even though Trump deserves to be impeached. So you've got a really weird situation where the the, the we talked about this in our most recent podcast um, that the the Democratic levers that have been set up to fix this almost can't be exercised because the system is so screwed up right now. Wow. So it, yeah. it's it's they're kind of in a, in a stuck position, really. I mean, what that, that's. Um, where where do, where can things go from here if that's the situation? Because surely Trump has done enough to kind of, uh, you know, for impeachment to be what everyone reckons should happen. You know, yeah. it kind of feels like what more could he do? I mean, he, you know, the, the thing is either either he has to seriously threaten their electoral chances, which means, you know, our next we always have little elections here and there, but our next big national elections are going to be uh, in November of 2018, which will be the entire House of Representatives and one third of the Senate. And then in uh, in 2020, we have our entire, you know, our presidential election, again, the entire House of Representatives, because they're every two years, and again, a third of the Senate, because the Senate is every six years and the terms are tiered. So you have a third of the senators every two years, right? So if, if the electoral chances start looking so bad for the Republicans, you may see more Republicans standing up and denouncing Trump and distancing themselves and all of that. The problem is it still doesn't really stop him. I mean, to some degree, 
to some degree, what's good is even what Trump is doing now by pissing off these top Republican leaders, the Senate is so evenly divided. Republicans are in the lead, but only by a couple votes in the Senate, but their majority that if he pisses off another senator like this, it makes it harder for him to pass tax reform and other crazy things he wants to do or tax cuts. So to some degree, it stymies him. The, the longer danger is He's now mucking with our health care, with the Obamacare health care bill. He couldn't get it repealed. So now he's doing all these things to basically make it fail. And our system is very confusing. You know, I'm happy to get into it, but it's a very confusing private system here. But Trump can do a lot of things that basically make people like me who work on my own make it very expensive for me to get health insurance. And it already is expensive. I pay almost $800 a month for my health insurance. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's not bad in America, although it's not great. And I still pay, and mind you, with that, I still pay 10% of all my, my charges. So if I go to the hospital for surgery, I'm still paying 10%, <laughs> right? Um, but so, 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 and what Trump is doing is going to make it even more expensive because he's doing all these little tweaks now to try to make it so that people don't sign up, to make it so that it's more expensive. It's, so, so I mean, that's the long-term danger is even if Republicans stand up to him, the president has a lot of power and he's slowly destroying the country. You know, you look at the cultural, I, I feel like I'm on a rant here, but you, you look at the cultural issues and you look at the fact that he's you know, embracing actual Nazis. I mean, that's a cultural change that is incredibly dangerous. It's not just, just incredibly dangerous on its face, but he's, he's weakening the democratic institutions. He's weakening sort of the, the civil society or the, the social contract, which is also what scares the hell out of me. Yeah, and, and I mean he's he's been setting a um a precedent for want of another word uh, you know that, that lying as a president is okay. Uh, I mean you know th th that's going to have yeah th th as as you said this this the the cultural change he's had and these kind of the longer term effects of his kind of lying and Twitter outbursts. I mean that's going to have a damaging effect for years to come, isn't it? Yeah, he hasn't. Uh, you know, he refused to release his tax returns, which every presidential candidate since Nixon, so going back to the late 1960s, early 1970s, has done. He refused to do it. Um, it's uh, every president since then has also released their tax returns as president. So every April 15th, they actually release their taxes public. Trump didn't do it. Um, and and again, because there's so much garbage going on with him, it's become kind of like, OK, whatever. You know, I mean, people got upset and then, you know, and then he threatened to blow up North Korea. So we started focusing on that instead. You know, and it's it's exactly there's there's specific policy issues that scare me. There's overall the democracy you know, issue that scares me because one of the things that um, David Frum, who is a very interesting writer here, uh, Republican, worked in the Bush White House. He's the one who wrote the famous Axis of Evil speech when Bush called, uh, was it North Korea, Iran, and God, I'm already spacing out. Uh, oh, it would be Iraq, of course, uh, the, the, axis of, the Axis of Evil. And uh, But David, interestingly enough, is also a really interesting, thoughtful guy, very anti-Trump. And David wrote an interesting piece this week about how, you know, it's great that everyone is standing up to Trump, like in the administration. You see the military, Trump says to do things and they kind of go, well, you know, let's see. You know, he wanted, he said, we're going to ban transgender troops. And the military said, well, maybe we'll just have a policy that says we have the discretion to do it. Like they're literally sort of taking him on. His staff isn't telling him things now, according to press reports. Like they've learned that if you just don't give Trump the entire story about stuff, he won't go crazy, which means, as David wrote, literally the president of the United States is now being contained in the same way that we had a containment policy against the Soviet Union. We now have it against <laughs> the president of the United States. And 
it's it's extra constitutional in the sense that you know we're literally winnowing down not just the powers of the president, but we're literally saying maybe the military shouldn't listen to the president all the time. And in a democracy, even though we all go, God, yes, I don't want the military to listen to him. Do we really want that to be a precedent in a Western democracy that the military gets to say no to the elected officials? I mean, that's that's really scary. But but he's made it so that even people like us on the left start to go, I'm kind of understanding how there could be popular support for a coup in Egypt, for example. I, I think I'm, <laughs> no, I mean, like you start to understand where that comes from, whereas in the past, a lot of us would have gone, that's crazy. Who could ever support that? Mm, sure. You know. Yeah. But then I suppose the question is then where does it go next with whoever replaces Trump? Do they still have the same limitation of their powers? And, you know, it, it, it becomes quite a slippery slope. Well, you you end up setting up a culture. I mean, this is one of the things that sort of they teach you in graduate school on, on international affairs is it's what happened in the Middle East. In the Middle East, there sort of started being this in the 50s and the 60s, this culture of assassination of leaders. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody started assassinating the leaders. And it's it's sort of the same thing is and I think we've seen it in our politics. And I'm sure you've seen it in yours where all of a sudden one party does something and the other sort of does it when they're in power and everybody starts just being, you know, dicky to each other back and forth. So, yeah, we remove Trump from office. They remove our guy from office. The military intervenes this time. The military then intervenes next time. You know, Bernie Bernie uh, Bernie uh, Sanders gets into office and he's a socialist, at least a socialist, if not further to the left. And how does the military like that? You know, so you, yeah. you don't want that kind of culture established in a democracy, obviously. But then you have conversations like ours where we sit here and go, clearly the checks and balances that were put into place in our democratic system, they don't work. I mean, no one's going to invoke the Constitution or impeachment to get rid of this guy. It's, I don't think it's, it's not going to it's not going to happen unless literally a nuclear bomb goes off in North in, in South Korea because of what Trump did. And then maybe people go, OK, this is too much. But at that point, we've already you know, we're already in the middle of a nuclear war. Sure. And I mean, is that, yeah. and you, you mentioned that that was, that's come up again in the, in the news today is, is, uh, you know, is there a chance in theory that the military will kind of stop Trump from going to, you know, war with North Korea is something that that is, could that happen? I mean, what, what could happen is, and I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I know during the Nixon years towards the end, so you're talking, you know, 1972, 1973, he was getting so batty <clears throat> that some of the military leaders sort of had standing orders to, if he ordered anything extreme to, you know, check with some of the other bosses first, basically, which already is very, you know, poo-poo <laughs> in a democracy. Um, I, I think a lot of us are certainly hoping that if he, if he orders something like a strike on North Korea or something, especially a nuclear strike, that that some of the le military leaders go public, that they leak it or something so that at least the public can weigh in and say whether we support this or not, I think is what people are at least hoping. You know, we don't want to coup against the guy, obviously, but we are hoping that somebody, the problem is the way our system is set up, it's not really set up that. It's set up so that the commander in chief says nuke him and the two guys in the silo in North Dakota nuke him. You know, that, that's the way it's supposed right. to work. And the guys who are picked to run the buttons there, they're picked so that psychologically they don't question the orders. Because obviously, if your job is to nuke people around the world, you know, you better you better have your head on straight or not, depending how you look at it. Um, but you don't pick people who second guess. So it's not clear that anybody would challenge him. And frankly, right. I'm sorry, but I was going to say, but also what you're seeing with North Korea now anyway, a lot of us think Trump is actually trying to provoke North Korea anyway. 
you know, that he's the way he keeps talking on Twitter sounds like the kind of things you would say to a crazy person if you wanted them to just go nuts. You know, I'm coming for you. Diplomacy isn't going to work. You know what's going to work? What's going to work is what I'm doing next. And he keeps saying, I'm going to do it next. And I I worry that it it's to make the North Koreans go, shit, he's going to bomb us. We better bomb first. And then if they bomb first, we have a reason to bomb them. Ha ha. Of course, but yeah, I think that's that what part on. of what his, uh, you know, the the spat or non-spat with with Rex Tillerson was about, wasn't it? That he, you know, and and I think other people in his department sort of said not to keep provoking them on Twitter, and he's continued to do exactly that. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things the Republican senator said the other day, who you know, accused Trump of Trump of bringing us to nuclear war. He said, you know, a lot of people are arguing that what Trump is doing with Tillerson and everyone is, you know, good cop, bad cop. I assume you guys use the expression too. Yeah. yeah, Right. And he said, there is no good cop in this equation, (laughs) meaning that Trump is Trump is in this fight with the secretary of state because he's pissed at the secretary of state. He he probably got wind now. Now, in retrospect, we found out last week that Tillerson in this summer had referred to Trump as a fucking moron. Uh, (laughs) after, and today we know why, because in today's news, and you know, this is now what Wednesday of this week in today's news, we found out that, uh, it's because Trump wanted to, I don't even know the word for this to, to, to DECA to 10 times increase our nuclear weapon force because he saw how low they were. And he got very upset because they were so big in the eighties and now they're nothing. And he didn't quite realize they're nothing because a, we have nuclear non you know, nuclear arms treaties with Russia and B, um, 300 nukes today is actually a lot better than 3000 nukes of 10 years ago. You know, like they're, they're so sophisticated. You could blow up the world 10 times over with 300 nukes. Um, but that's why he had made that comment. And that's why Tillerson called him a effing moron after the meeting. Trump could have easily gotten wind of that earlier, which may even be the whole nexus of this fight with Tillerson. But everyone thinks his public battles with the secretary of state, where he's saying, you know, I, I know I told him stop the diplomacy. It's not good cop, bad cop. It's real. He's pissed at Tillerson. He wants Tillerson to resign. He wants to convince North Korea that we're going to bomb them. So they act first. And if you if you deal with them diplomatically, you may give them the idea that maybe there's an out here and then they won't bomb. But if they don't think there's an out, then they'll bomb. I think he's that crazy, unfortunately. Well, that's what I was going to ask is I I, I sort of because the thing I I find it hard uh, is is to pretend that there's any kind of intelligence to what he's doing (laughs) because you know there was a thing a couple of weeks ago when when uh puerto rico had been hit and he wasn't uh sending help there or wasn't uh, arranging for help to get there um you know he was ranting about the nfl and lots of people said he's using this as distraction technique but then i look at other things he's doing and i sort of think is he smart enough to do distraction techniques on purpose you know it it feels like he's just a very angry narcissist who who wants you know does whatever he thinks will benefit him he's an angry narcissist who's 12 years old and a serial liar i mean those are the main things to analyze anything he says uh who also usually when he says something it's the opposite of what he says so when he denies something publicly it means it's true but i'm quite serious i mean that's a good way of looking at him but you're also dealing with somebody who is a reality tv star so he is an attention whore. So he's going to be doing things that get attention. He knows when he does these rallies in the countryside, you know, a thousand people turn up and scream for him and say, you know, lock her up, lock her up, you know, throw Hillary in jail. And he likes that. So he does it just for the attention. So I think a lot of the things he's doing, like the NFL thing, he just knows that it's going to get him attention and his, his Nazi sympathizing base is going to like it. So it works. And one of the dangers, I mean, there's a lot of dangers, but one of the dangers of that is, 
if the most vocal people defending Trump now are his, you know, again, what Hillary called the deplorables and she got in trouble for it. And now we all go, I guess Hillary was right. Oh, well, um, too late. Um, you know, but if these deplorables are, you know, far right, almost neo-Nazi white supremacist sympathizing people, and they're the only people speaking up and praising Trump, it reinforces that side of Trump's instinct if he's, if he's uh, guided to praise. If he wants praise, then he knows the more Nazi I go, the more praise I get, which is really scary, but that's what we're dealing with. So I think all, always, yeah, I would not think of, the only thing is, I will say this, there was somebody said the other day that actually, I think it was George Bush who said the other day, uh, George Bush II, the son, George W. Bush, who said something like that uh, people always underestimated him and it's it's what part of made him successful the first several years or whatever. And there is that risk that we think Trump is such an idiot in the same way like during the election, right? He's such an idiot, he'll never get elected and then he gets elected. And granted, it's not like the Russians and the FBI didn't help, obviously, but but still he did far too well, better than he should have done. So we, we need to be on, on watch, not to just dismiss him as, oh, he's a crazy nut. Well, actually, I would say I think all of us are at the point now where we know he's a crazy nut and we also know he can't be dismissed because he's he is dangerous as hell. So I guess maybe that isn't really a risk, you know, that, that we're all not going to that we're all not going to get how dangerous he really is. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And we'll be back with John in a minute, but first... Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! Brexit fallout! News has just come in that Theresa May's dinner meeting with EU Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker took place in a constructive and friendly atmosphere, which just sounds a lot like they had a snack at Legoland. But while the two made a joint statement that Brexit negotiations would accelerate over the months to come, this comes just days after EU negotiator Michel Barnier said the two sides had reached deadlock. I mean, how bad is it that you ended up killing a lock? How do you even do that? So could this week's joint statement merely mean that negotiations are accelerating really fast towards a really strong brick wall, with May expressing less awareness of what to do than a crash test dummy? Hopefully, the government's hints at a no deal were their way of trying to frighten the EU. 
you know, in the way an ant might frighten an elephant by saying it was preparing to punch it in the leg. Because, really, there are no advantages to a no-deal for the UK whatsoever. Now, a Sky News poll in the last week showed that 74% of the public think that a no-deal is actually better than a bad deal, but those are also people who are happy watching Kay Burley report news like it's an untrained puppy and she's an angry lion tamer. But there is a concern that people back the idea of no-deal because, to them, it sounds a lot like keeping the status quo if there's no-deal and no no, I don't mean making sure people won't stop listening to a really boring rock band. But No Deal is actually the absolute opposite of that, and in fact is a lot more like keeping the status quo to play really boring rock music all day and therefore make your life awful. And the white paper that the government chucked out on Trade and Customs show that while they're preparing for a No Deal, they also seem to assume it would mean rocking all over the world rather than the reality of crying on our lonely island. OK, I'll stop with the status quo jokes for now, or keep them. I mean, whatever you want. Uh, sorry. Back in March, confused Uncle David Davis said there was no contingency plan for a no deal. And now these white papers that the government have released show that he wasn't wrong, but they now know which words to use to fill a whole bit of paper pretending that there is. Titled A Contingency Scenario, it doesn't include any details of how much a no-deal situation would cost the UK or how feasible it is, and the section on the border between Ireland and Northern Ireland seems to basically say, hey, it's really nice that the EU are considerate on this issue and we'll try our best just to sort it out, but you know, we're really busy and we've got a lot on. The fact is, a no-deal would mean a definite border in Ireland, and even if the British side don't do it, the Republic of Ireland could be taken to the European Court of Justice for allowing a third-party state open access to the EU, and then Ireland would have to build one instead, by law. A no-deal would mean loads of flight issues as well, as flights between the UK and other countries wouldn't be able to do stop-offs in Europe, and any country's flight requirements that previously went via the EU, you know, like the US's stupid needs for fingerprints and shoe searches and your favourite childhood anecdote and some of your DNA and one of your pets or whatever it is, all of that is agreed with the EU, so it'd have to be renegotiated with the UK before any flights could be allowed between those countries. And of course, food tariffs would rock it or other types of lettuce as British food places won't have competitive access to the EU, which is where most of them sell to. So then they're going to have to make you pay extra to keep them going. Chris Grayling said that a no deal would see British farmers growing more food, but part of that may be that they're just going to have to grow more in order to feed their families after they can't afford to buy other produce anywhere else due to all the high costs and they can't sell any of their own for the same reason. MPs are trying to add amendments to the EU withdrawal bill that will mean a no deal cannot happen and that some arrangements have to be made. But what would actually be better would be if the government released a number of documents that will show the effects of Brexit onto over 50 sections of the economy. The government have admitted that they've got these documents, but they keep refusing to release them under the Freedom of Information Act as they believe these documents are not in the public interest despite lots of members of the public asking for them. I mean, why would people not want to know the results of studies into what will happen after Brexit? I mean, do they really like surprises? Well, that can't be the case, or people wouldn't bother seeing blockbuster films despite having seen the 12 trailers that came out week after week ruining all the good bits beforehand. It's more likely that the government don't want people to see them because then people would realise that things will be pretty bad with a bad deal and worse with a no deal and just generally terrible with this terrible, terrible government. The Good Law Project, formed by former podcast Jolly and Morm, have written to David Davis's department demanding that they release the records under the Common Law Act or they will be taking the government to court over it. Which, I'm sure, makes the Good Law Project enemies in the eyes of David Davis, Philip Hammond and the like, but at least those enemies are just expecting the government to talk, rather than, like the enemies of the people the UK government, expecting our prospects to die. And now, back to John. 
So it's it's more a case of just being very aware of the damage he can cause and then working out how to limit it as best as possible till he can be removed. I think so. I mean, I've I have said from the beginning. It's actually kind of funny because I, you know, for your audience, will appreciate this. BBC somebody, BBC Radio calls to do an to do an interview election night, right? And this is before we knew he was going to win, and the interview was like at you know one thirty in the morning East Coast time. Of course, it was late half an hour too. So I'm sitting there like after the ex- exhausted, freaked out, and then they're late. I was like, all right, I get on. The interview was kind of short. They had some other American professor type and the American and they're asking me and I said, well, it's going to be a disaster. And I'm explaining things. The American professor type is starting to poo poo it. Oh, I don't think we should go into histrionics here, you know. And the BBC guy was kind of taking his side. And basically they asked me one or two things. Let me go. And then talk to the crazy professor who was saying, oh, the hysterical people on the left, they don't know what they're talking about. And you know what? I mean, I don't want to say I told well, I do want to say I told you so I don't want to crow about it because we're kind of screwed but but it's interesting how many people even then were like oh he really can't be that bad and now we've seen everything we've worried about almost everything we've worried about has come true which is which is why I do I mean I I worry about the war thing a lot and I'm not I am not a pacifist I mean I'll say that too you know not for I'm probably a typical American in that sense. You know what I mean? I'm not afraid to use military power. I'm not opposed to it when necessary. We are a superpower. There's no choice. But he's freaking crazy. <laughs> you know? And that's just, it's, anyway. I don't know. Sure. But, and, know. and also, as you say, it's a difference between having to use it when necessary and him provoking. Using it because you're him. using it because your penis is too small. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and, and in his case, I mean, like that would be a joke normally. Again, this is the guy that talks about the size of his hands, which means that's one of his issues, right? His one of his his big thing is he's got this whole weird masculinity thing too. You know, he 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 um one of the reasons we're told the senator who spoke out against him, the GOP senator, he was considering him for secretary of state and also for his vice president. One of the reasons he turned him down is the senator is apparently only like five foot six, five foot seven, which I don't even know if you guys use millimeters, centimeters, or whatever you use. Yeah, uh, no, for, yeah, yeah. With do you use centimeters? No, we, yeah, we, use, uh, we use feet. Uh, oh, we use feet. Then you know, yeah. so like five, yeah. six isn't much, right? Trump didn't no. want him because he was too short and he just didn't fit the role. He's turned, he's turned down White House officials that have beards and mustaches because, again, oh, people with beards and mustaches, it just – you really can't cast someone like that. You know, this is the way he's, – he's got this very, very strange fixation on – I would say it's very – I mean, as a gay man, I would say it's very stereotypical – gay 1970s or something. I don't even know what, you know, it's, it's just, just to the extreme concern about the looks and the looks of everybody around him and the way things appear. But again, it's, it's the stereotype. It's not even the reality. <laughs> um, he's, he's a mess. He's just a mess. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, it's, I mean, but do you think, uh, because I, I think one of the things that feels um, evident or from my understanding of it since the election is that America, like, and we had it in the UK with, with Brexit and it's happening in various different countries, but people wanted a change. And I think while there were many reasons that uh, Trump won, as you mentioned, Russia and FBI as well, but, but, you know, what Hillary was offering was kind of more of the same. And I think people were angry about, you know, that they weren't happy with areas of their lives and wanted to change, whether it was the right one or wrong one. Do you think that, uh, you know, Trump's very low in the popularity polls? Do you think that it, everything he's doing now will kind of cause people to want a, a different change in the future? Or do you think he's he could hang on? Yes, it will cause a different change. But there's a couple of different problems. The first of which uh, votes for votes for in the House of Representatives 
are, well, there's a couple of different problems, actually. In the in the U.S. Senate, one of the problems we have is, and it can, maybe we blame this on your system. I don't, I don't even know to what degree. I should know, but I mean, I'm not as much of a historian as I am a current policy guy. But, um, but our Senate is set up, well, like your House of Lords, I guess. Our Senate is set up where each state gets two senators. And it doesn't matter if California has 36 million people and Montana has half a million people. Each state gets two senators, which is kind of bullshit, obviously. But at the same time, it's meant to give each state equal power in one body. Fair enough. In the House of Representatives, it's based on the population, and it's this very crazy, weird calculation that goes on where, you know, each state, it's divvied up by population, and then within the state, it's it's done by geographical regions. Well, every 10 years, we do a national census, and the legislature which the, with the governor in that state cut up the state into all their little congressional regions, and that's how we pick congressmen or congresspeople for the next 10 years. Well, they will literally cut up a population. I mean, you've got, they look like, we call them, you know, the, the Rorschach inkblot ink uh, test, right? The psychological test that's a smudge of ink on a page. That's what they, you can Google it and you'll see what I mean. That's what they literally look like because they have carved up these regions because Republicans have controlled so many of the state legislatures. They will carve up these regions so that, you know, if, I don't know, 20% of a state's population is black. They cut up the black community to such a degree that no congressional district has a majority of black people. So now blacks will always have a minority. There will always be whites represented. Or, or you could cut it up so that every black in the state is in one district. So maybe they get one representative, but the other 22 are for sure going to be white. And you could do the same thing for liberals versus conservatives. Well, it's it's called gerrymandering, and it's something we've been trying to fix for years, but because each party wants to do it for its own, it's not clear how you fix it. But so the danger now is the House of Representatives has been so gerrymandered that there's a lot of concern that even for 2018, you know, it, it it's still a high hurdle, although we have a better chance in the House than the Senate. But I will say this, you know, you do see these wave elections, as we call them, where people get so pissed off that the unthinkable happens and crazy or people that you didn't think were going to win, win, and it happens at the last minute, right? So yes, Trump is hurting the Republicans. He is absolutely helping Democrats. He's causing more moderate Republicans to not want to run again. He's causing more even more extreme Republicans to run, which either means they'll have a harder time winning, or if they do win, the party gets even more extreme. So you've got that crazy back and forth. Um, so, I mean, it, it in the long run, hopefully this helps us come back to power, but there's no guarantee because, again, the way the election looks for the next couple of years, it's not really in Democrats' favors until maybe 2020 with the presidential and then with the congressional races then. So it's it's, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other, unfortunately. Wow. So, I mean, it's a little so complicated, case, but it's, but it's, yeah, it's just the math is difficult. <laughs> is the, yeah. Is the well, but it, it also just sounds very depressing in that even if there is um, will for real change, then the gerrymandering will kind of put a blockade to some of that happening unless it happens really en masse. Well, look at this last election. I mean, Hillary Clinton won by three million votes and she lost. I mean, our system is, it's a little screwy. You know, and there are, and that you could forget the Russians or FBI, right? Even if nobody cheated, the system is set up in a way where you can win without winning the popular vote. That already is a little bit nuts. I mean, we unfortunately have, and maybe everybody does, I don't know, a very arcane, complicated system that was set up, you know, 100, 200 years ago. And it lets you game the system a little bit if you know how to play it right. And well, Trump's people played it, but again, I mean, they played it with Russia and they played it with everybody, but they also played it with the math by getting the right states. 
even though he didn't have a majority, which is not a majority. I mean, a plurality, which is just crazy. Welcome to welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> you know? God, I, I don't oh. I don't know how you guys are coping with it. I really I mean, you know, we, we're having a lot of issues over here in the UK of our own. But but watching the US news makes us almost feel better about things. here. That's kind of the, the no, horrible way that it's happening. It's as bad as you think. I mean, that, you know, obviously, day to day life. It's not like, you know, it's not like my life is any harder day to day, so to speak. But it's it's every freaking day. This morning he came out and is now talking about taking the broadcast license away from NBC, which is one of our sort of big three or four TV networks. And it's like, really? Because he doesn't like the news they're promoting. The president of the freaking country is talking about the government taking away the license of one of our biggest networks because their news angers him. I mean, it's. It's just, and it's another distraction, but it's also another step into darkness too, because it gets his supporters thinking that that's appropriate talk for a, a, a an elected official in a democracy, which it's not. You know, it's it's just like I said, every day is another thing that you just I don't know. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. Yeah. I, I do often sort of feel that he's mainly wanting to start war with Kim Jong Un because he's jealous that Kim yes. Jong Un's done half the stuff he wants to do first. You know, that's it. it I know. Yeah, like... You know, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I think he thinks it's going to make him look good. I, I'm thinking King, Kim Jong Un's statements probably pissed him off because you know the Koreans, the North Koreans have that whole over the top, um, you know, sci-fi villain thing. You know what I mean? It's like you know we will destroy you and your dog. You know this kind of crazy stuff. And it's it knowing Trump, that's the kind of thing that would really get his goat, where he'd just be like, oh, he insulted me. I must kill him. You know. So 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 that's that's a good part of it. I mean, it's I I. It's not a strategy. There is the there is no brilliant strategy going on. In the end, you know, we may get lucky where he's so freaking crazy that maybe it does get China to intervene and do something to help North Korea stop doing what it's doing. But we're also worried about Iran. You know, he's he's talking about you know, ripping up the Iran nuclear deal without realizing that, well, OK, then that'll mean that Iran will just go ahead and start building nuclear weapons again. <laughs> so is that what you want? And then we or Israel have to blow them up someday. And as we learned with the previous analyses, we can't blow them up enough to get rid of all the all the bombs. We know that. They're in hardened bunkers that you can't get to. So we blow up most of Iran, but not all of it. And then they nuke Israel. Then what happens? Then the Russians get it. Then we have World War II, World War III again. Well, World War IV, because it'll be after we blow up Korea. You know, it's, I mean, it's not, it's obviously not funny at all, but yeah. it, it's, there's too many scenarios that are so screwed up right now. It's um, I don't. Know, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but but it's no, no. But it, but it is. It, it's something happens. that we're all worried about as well. <laughs> you know, I think people around the world are, are hugely concerned about this. And and I mean, what's uh, trying to think of a sort of positive thing to ask you? <laughs> really, but you know, what would be kind <laughs> of my dog is doing well. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> My dog is oh, doing good. well. Oh, well, I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't, Trump hasn't she's done an anti-dog policy yet, but it might come soon. She's, she's unfazed, which is good. Okay, yes. well, that's so. good. <laughs> but I was going to say, at least... But she's half Yorkshire Terrier, so she's got half... The, she's half British, half French. She's a Yorkie Bichon, so she's got the Yorkie in her, which makes her... You know, sort of British strong in in, in adversity. So, <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I hope it's the good bit of yeah. Some of the British strong at the moment isn't isn't what you want. Um. So um. Yeah, but... that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've gone well. Yeah, your little buddy Nigel Farage has been uh, causing trouble here too. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of scary actually. It, not knowing your politics as much, but it it always amazes me when these sort of international, not movements. I don't even know what to call it. Uh. uh you know, waves take over where all of a sudden you start doing the same crazy shit that we're doing. 
And the fact that, especially somebody like Farage, that he could make an impact there and make an impact here is really scary. And it's frankly really offensive that he would make it here too. Like what the hell is some foreigner doing? He's been He's been apparently stirring up some of the secession stuff here. He had some tie to the secession movement in California as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that a lot of people um, <laughs> misunderstand abroad is that he he did he did have an influence here, but he tells uh, American news sites, especially Fox News, that he had more of an influence than he did. Because uh, oh, yeah, it, it's okay. I mean, he's he's a he's a really horrible bastard, basically. <laughs> and we <laughs> a lot of people here would love to see you know have some sort of karmic. Uh, Comic conclusion, something where he falls down a someday deep well or something. A, yeah. He can, def- <laughs> can defect to Russia with Trump someday and they can all be happy living in Moscow together. That's it. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be very happy. A couple of our congressmen, they'll be very happy. So, you know. <laughs> That's it. Mother Russia, land of freedom. It's okay. Uh, you, 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 go, you go there and see how much you like it, kids. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there a couple of times. Not so free. No. But anyway. No. I, I, it's own fast. I was there in the Soviet times, actually, too. That was fascinating. Oh, wow. Um. 83, early 84, when things were really bad, when they had lost a couple leaders. And it was just a, I mean, Russia is a fascinating place, but man, like everything they tell you about it is actually true. God, it is, it is just scary. You think it's scary, like in our countries with some of the stuff we do. Oh, anyway, yeah, that's, it's, it's, that's it's, like I said, that's its own podcast. And they're having oh. mass, uh, yeah, they're having their own mass protests there now against Putin as well. So God knows what we, it's all, it's all up in the yeah. air constantly, everything. <laughs> so, uh, but what I was gonna, what what I was gonna ask is, in fact, in fact, um, uh, two two last questions, one uh, very quick one. But I was gonna say that it must be, you know, in terms of. Um, finding some hope in amongst all this terrifyingness that it feels like there's more and more kind of uh, uprisings of political movements. It feels like there's more and more kind of um, Americans that are aware of what's happening. You know, I think, what was it? Was it ACLU that, that I heard on your podcast that, you know, there were the ones that stepped in when Monk, uh, when, when Trump did the um, migrant ban, uh, you know, that I feel like the Muslim ban. The Muslim yeah. ban. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. are, you, are you feeling that as well as the kind of gloom are you noticing or does it feel like there's enough people to fight against it? You know, I mean, with my political analyst organizer hat on, yeah, there's something positive in that a lot of people are energized now. You've got a lot of new, you know, we call it the resistance, which is kind of funny um, because we're not very historically aware as a country. So it's interesting that we grabbed onto something from World War II. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, it's a good thing, but it's funny as an American. Um, but, you know, we've we've grabbed onto this concept. We've got a lot of new like resistance groups that have become very powerful, which is great. Um, uh, Left wing podcasting has become really big, which is really interesting because I remember doing my first podcast for my blog like 10 years ago. and It was OK, but, you know, it didn't really go anywhere. And now all of a sudden you've got all of these podcasts, a number of them that are making real money too, which is great. Um, so, so that's been really interesting. Um, you've also have certainly, I think what's really interesting. And I think in your country, it'll be interesting to see the same thing is to what degree do people learn something from what we're all going through? Meaning I think young people in particular, because I've been in politics now for 30 years, it's one thing to be idealistic. I'm a, I've been an LGBT activist for 25 years. I'm still idealistic, but I've been through enough politics that I also I, I compare it to like a game of chicken. You know, the, the car race when two people race a car at each other in the 1950s, and whoever's chicken pulls away first, and whoever doesn't pull away is the winner, unless you know you all die. Um, but but I compare it to that in that a lot of the activism I've always done is trying to scare the hell out of my party to be better, especially on LGBT rights. But then when the elections come around, we all make nice because I know I've got to get my party elected (laughs) because the other guys are going to be so bad. And we've entered a little bit of of a phase recently where people feel like, nope, my candidate isn't perfect, so screw her. 
I'd rather lose. What's the difference anyway between Hillary and Trump? Ha ha ha. And now we realize that there's a big difference, right? So I think you're seeing a lot of younger people who hopefully are getting their first big indoctrination into politics where they're seeing that, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, the people aren't pure. Yeah, our party could be better. But it really does suck when the other guy gets into power. Like there's damage that the environmental policies are way worse than they'd ever be under Hillary. Um, healthcare, my healthcare would be not in danger under Hillary. It is in danger under Trump. You know, things like that, that forget nuclear war. I wouldn't worry about that. Actually, that was a funny thing too. They, they used to attack Hillary for being a warmonger. Ha ha ha. Isn't that cute now? You know, ha ha ha. <laughs> you know, um, so, so, so that's a whole positive, maybe from a political science perspective of looking at Hopefully people aren't just getting involved, but they're understanding that strive for these ideals and strive for purity, but recognize that in the end, if you vote for the Green Party, you're screwing yourself over, at least in American politics, because you just lost, you know, two to three percent of the vote that got nothing and it helped the crazy guy win. And you can say you made all the statements you want, but if, if you want to make a statement and have Donald Trump be president, then, you know, I have no I have no use for you, <laughs> not in progressive politics, you know, Um so I think there's hope there, but what worries me is this is different than the usual back and forth swing. When we're out of power, we get screwed. Then we're in power and we fix it. Then we're out of power and we get screwed a bit. The damage is putting nuclear war aside. There's there's such great damage to the institutions that I fear he's doing, that it, and, and the institution of the presidency because now, you know, we it's it's a joke. Now you can't trust the word. Now you really can't trust the word of the president, and, you, and we all know that you can't. You know, what, what is that? It makes us, we're no longer that little city that at least my friends on the, I don't know about England, but on the continent, people would always say, you know, we get pissed at you because we actually look up to you. Like we actually do think American politics can be at least better than our politics. And now you're looking at us going, eh, maybe not so much. Yeah. You know, and that's, that sucks, I think. Yeah, definitely. He's kind of ruined it for everyone, yeah. doesn't he? And, and uh, you know, not just <laughs> for, for for many future generations. Um, well, but but it, it anyway, yeah, it has. But but and that was okay. So that this is like a, and by the way, I didn't plug my podcast, unprecedented podcast. Please go and check I it was out. Just I was just going to plug it for you because I was going to say, <laughs> well, this the last thing I wanted to ask you is uh, just um, because I I think your podcast is fantastic, unprecedented. Um, everyone should check that out, and of course your your blog as well, America blog. Um, but um, I was going to ask, apart from uh, yourself, uh, you're also on Twitter, which I. I'll, I'll plug to the listeners in our post amble. Um, but I was going to ask if there are any commentators that you would recommend that listeners uh, check out. If there are any uh, American political commentators that you enjoy following or enjoy reading that you, know, you should, that you'd recommend that UK listeners check out. What I would say is, although I've got a few too many people I'm following, but it's not crazy on Twitter. Um, I mean, I've got about 1200 people I follow. So it's a lot, but it's not a lot. You know, some people follow 10,000. I follow a lot of really good people in politics. Some of them are my friends, but most of the people I follow on Twitter are just very good, interesting political people, mostly on the left, some on the right, like David Frum, who I mentioned, who's really interesting. Um, but I would, it's, I mean, it's a thousand people, so you got to fish through it, but you can then fish, you know, how Twitter works. You can then fish through and see, oh, he's with this paper. That's interesting. She's with this paper. But I, uh, I follow just a lot of really interesting political people. I would say that because otherwise, God, there's like a thousand people to sift through, but they're all, but I mean, I, I usually follow people for a reason because they're very interesting and none of them are crazy other than I follow Trump, of course, because he's crazy, but, but there's probably nobody else I follow, you know, my, my Twitter handle, which is a little difficult. It's my last name, Aravosis. Um, if it'll be in the podcast written down, people can find it in the description or something, I guess. But it's simply at Aravosis is my, you know, is my, uh, my Twitter handle. So you can just go there and look, but I would say do that. I can't really give you a name or two otherwise. <laughs> 
big thank you to John for that chat. Um, I've added a little bit more of that interview at the end of this episode, which I thought I'd do because uh, it was a very long chat. And that way, uh, if you would like to hear more of John's thoughts on attempting to be positive, uh, which is what we talked about at the end, um, you can stick to the end of the show for that. Or if not, you cannot. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not your dad. Um, if you want to follow John on Twitter, you can find him at Aravosis. That's A-R-A-V-O-S-I-S. Uh, and then do trawl through all his Twitter follows for other recommendations of people. Um, John's progressive political blog can be found at americablog.com and his podcast, which I really, really enjoy, is called Unprecedented and can be found in all your usual sound holes. I've got a few interviewees coming up that I'm very excited about, but as I say on every goddamn show, if you would like me to interview someone in particular or on a particular subject, then please, please, please let me know at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, or partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you can try the expensive Gerhard Zucker option of Rocket Mail, where you fill the fuselage of a V7 with your message and then fire it in the general direction of its delivery, where it deploys a parachute on arrival or explodes and panics everyone, causing Trump to start a war on the mail service as a result. Again, as always, it's probably just easier to email. And that is it for this week's Partly Political Broadcast. Um, thank you again for listening to the show. And um, please don't forget to give the show a review, donate to the Patreon or Kofi, and generally just shout the RSS feed at people on the bus. Thanks to Acast for the hosting of this show and to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all of the music. And do not forget that his album, This Is Where It Gets Good, is available on all possible noise bases. Uh, next week, this show is going to be back to the usual me content, uh, where I'll probably be saying stuff like, oh, wow, it turns out a no deal is actually better than a minus deal that we've somehow now got that means we have to put everything we own onto a P&O ferry while Theresa May assures us we're better off as long as we survive the winter without food or shelter. Bye! This week's show was brought to you by Jeremy Corbyn's Bring Your Robot to Work Day scheme. Why not encourage your workplace to allow you to bring your pet ED209, Terminator or Theresa May model to your office and let everyone kick off steam by firing lasers at wacky Jeff from accounts until he dies? I kind of prefer that. But, you know, the, I think the hardest thing is, and the blog was always this way for the last 10 years up until Obama. The irony is during Bush, the blog did great because it was all, ah. And then during Obama, it was terrible because it was like we were in power. So then you're criticizing your own. So nobody liked it. But but the the doom and gloom after a while just gets so doomy that people can't handle it. And I feel like so many of these podcasts we do are just it's like yeah, yeah it's like, you know, like you asked me what's, you know, what's optimistic. And we still ended with nuclear war. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's like. It's hard to do this and not have it be just, guys, we're fucked. You know, it's, I don't know. I mean, not fucked. We should have, we even could have talked about that because part of my history of politics has been accomplishing things that shouldn't be accomplished and seeing that everything changes and you still win in the end. So there is that positive thing that actually we probably should have gotten into, but, right. but, but which is the only thing that keeps me going because I know we can still win, even though I always say I'm a pessimistic optimist or, or vice versa, because you've got to be doom and gloom as an activist to achieve it, but you've also got to be an optimist to believe it can be achieved because otherwise then you're just an anarchist activist. And that's, you know, that's for kids as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> well, if you, if you want, anyway. I, I didn't speak through that last bit. I can copy and edit that to the end. If you want to, if you want to, yeah. end on a positive if it's any note. good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If it's any good, I mean, this stuff is on the record, so to speak, if it's any good, go ahead and use it. Yeah. Cool. Cause I do. I mean, I think it's important because we get into so much nasty every time, literally at the end of our podcast, we always end up with the Trump stuff and we just kind of both sigh and go, Oh my God, there we go again. Like we've made everybody want to slit their wrists and it's, and it's, 
It, well, just then. I mean, it's anyway. Yeah. That's his own long story. That's interesting because I think like back when I was on the Republican side in the early 90s, the Democrats took over the White House and the Congress. And amongst the Republicans, the discussion was we're screwed for generations. We're never coming back to power. What are we going to do? And then two years later, they took back the entire Congress. <laughs> so, I mean, it's literally these things go back and forth. we had eight years of Obama and now we're screwed. But at the same time, we had eight years of Obama. That was pretty freaking good. Yeah. You know, so that so that there's that aspect of it, too, where the good and the bad do go hand in hand. This is just happens to be a lot worse. And if we live, we'll swing back to good again. But it's I do worry about the sort of slow march towards fascism. I never talked that way, but I do worry about that now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it's, I didn't think it was possible in our countries. I really didn't. And now, again, you start to see and you go, I get how these things we talked about the analogy of the frog cooking a frog, which, you know, I guess the French know the rest of us don't do very much, but, uh, you don't throw a frog into boiling water cause it'll jump out. You put a frog into cold water and then you turn up the heat and let it heat up slowly so that every incremental degree, the frog gets a little more uncomfortable, but it puts up with it until it dies. And I think that's what we're all going through right now is each incremental freak out. We freak out and the next one comes along and we don't realize that over a year or two, what kind of freedoms and what kind of destruction has been wrought. I mean, we realize it, but like we said, the gun thing is a week ago. So it's like, oh yeah, that was that was Puerto Rico was two weeks ago, even though Puerto Rico is still on the verge of an absolute disaster. Was the news today? It's it's horrific what's happening there, and everyone's moved on. You know. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, it's really okay. really depressing. We're yeah. getting we're getting sad. We're getting sad again. <laughs> I know. I know. This is why we try to reject levity in our podcast too, because it's like it's just it's this is too serious to have a serious discussion about. Yeah, you yeah, know? but it's important. It's, it's also I, I will say that as as a listener to a recent listener to a podcast, I I you, you you get levity in there. Don't worry, I've definitely chuckled a few times I, in amongst it. And that's <laughs> that's what I try to do in mine as well. I, I I pack jokes in either side of the interview, and then that kind of hopefully makes people laugh before they cry. That's the we may have to start including porn or something i don't know something to just make it a little more like and now for your little sex interlude there we go a little better well good luck with that i mean you'll definitely get listeners but you know i don't know if they're the right ones yeah at this point you know a page view is a page view right but uh yeah Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 